Hey everybody, welcome to this week's Q&A. It's a chilly Thursday morning, but I'm armed with my zip hoodie, which are also in stock at retrorgb.link forward slash t-shirts, plural. So uh, if you want to be kept warm this winter, check out those. But let's jump into the Q&As and see what we got going. First up are two questions from Marco Vizzini over on Patreon. First, if they're using the outputs on a PVM to go into a second monitor, can they safely display the video on both monitors at the same time? Yes, 100%. This is not the same as using a Y cable or a Y splitter circuit or whatever you want to describe it. And this is because of the termination inside. Now, I don't want to over-explain this, but basically the best way to visualize this is whenever there are devices designed for pass-through, it's safe to use. And if it's not designed for pass-through, you have to add an active powered circuit in order to split it. This is for video only, not for audio. It's all, in pretty much every case, safe to use Y circuits on audio. It could introduce ground hum or a little bit of interference, but it's not gonna hurt anything. It might just lower the quality a little bit. So yes, 100% safe to do that. Uh, next, um, which kind of relates to the first question, if the outputs are just pass-through, can they safely plug left audio into the input and plug right audio into the output to give mono stereo? Um, I, would, I wouldn't do it that way. I would just buy a Y cable for a couple of bucks. It probably is going to be fine. I seriously doubt it would hurt anything at all, but I would use just a, an external cable to complete that because I'm not sure if there's anything else there, if there's any other circuitry. Probably not. You're probably going to be fine, but for the cost of a Y cable, I mean, I just wouldn't take the chance. Uh, and I know this is being overcautious, and I know I should probably just be like, ah, you're fine, but we're talking about something that's probably five bucks or less. So if I accidentally waste your five bucks, with all respect, I'm not really going to worry about that. As if, on the flip side, if I accidentally damaged your PVM, I would be freaking mortified. So, yeah, even if it might be a waste, I'd recommend spending that five bucks. And I'll see if I could leave a link to the one that I purchased. Um, but, I mean, any, any Y cable like that would be fine. Next, Steve Wells got an RGB Pi SCART adapter to use with their Raspberry Pi 4, and it works great when hooked up to their PVM via a SCART to BNC cable, so basically directly plugged into the PVM, but it won't work through the RetroTank 5X or GBS control. Unfortunately, I've never figured out how to fix it, and I've never even gotten an answer as to why it does that, and it's always kind of done that. I believe it does work through an OSSC because I think that's how I was able to do uh, to show it on live streams, but it didn't even work through SCART switches that uh, you know, through powered SCART switches and stuff like that. So I think there's a mistake on the sync line. I've asked the question, I never got a straight answer. Uh, I've asked if they were going to fix it, I never got a straight answer. So if you want, you could check out their Discord. But you know, I just got to warn you. I think the creator loves drama. So when you walk into that Discord, you're going to find a bunch of people who are incredibly patient and helpful and nice. Who I just have so much respect and thanks for because they were nice to me. But you're also going to see you're basically going to be like, ask your question, troll, troll, troll really thoughtful, smart answer, troll, troll, troll. So I just, I got to give the fair warning that if you have the patience for that, maybe you could try to figure out if there's something you could do, but I have zero patience for that anymore. I put too many hours in to put up with that crap. So I just, you know, I'm sorry to leave you high and dry on this one, Steve, but I just, I got to draw my line somewhere and wasting tons of time just dealing with crap is not something I could afford to do anymore.
So I'm really sorry that I don't have an actual answer and I'm not uh, able to help. I could just say that I've run into the same issue and I just got no idea what to do. Now, on the flip side, whenever I've plugged it directly into a PVM, it looked great. I had, I thought it was a really great adapter. I have no complaints there. It's just through other devices and I, I just kind of don't get it. So sorry, I don't have more info, but if you figure something out, please let us know. Next up, Andy said they've heard me say many times not to use a Y splitter for video sources and to use a distribution amp if an analog signal needs to go to multiple displays. However, they don't recall hearing me discuss using a Y connector to turn one composite video input into two. Same thing. It's actually completely different, but same danger. So that's a big no-no. Never, ever, ever do that. The reason why is when you connect multiple devices like that, you're putting twice the the resistance on that line. And depending on the age of the console, the chips, and a lot of other factors involved, you could kill it immediately, you could significantly shorten it, or in some very rare cases, it's fine. But I would much rather see people proceed as if it's never fine unless you know very specifically in your exact use case, such as using a PVM to run composite video in and composite video out to another monitor, stuff like that. So unless there is a very, very specific use case, anytime you have a Y circuit or a Y cable or, or something that combines two into one or one to two, if it involves video, never, ever, ever do it. And you know, just once again, there are specific scenarios. There's always that actually in the comments of somebody that, you know, wants to talk about a fringe use case. Fine. Make fun of me all you want. I would still much, much rather give advice that keeps your equipment safe. than you know, and maybe you end up spending a little extra on a, a powered splitter. I'd so much rather burn this into people's brains than have people kill their consoles or something. Cause the, the price difference is massive, obviously. So yeah. Um, I just want to make sure that I, I make that clear. Never a Y with video, almost always fine with audio could introduce some stuff, but not a safety issue. I can't ever imagine a case where you have two perfectly safe line level audio equipment, not like you're turning an arcade machine all the way up and putting that into a line level receiver, two sources that are completely safe to use on their own. If you use a Y cable to, to have one at a time going in the same scenario you suggested, or on the flip side, one going to your capture card, one going to your TV, I've never seen a scenario in which that would cause damage to anything. Once again, provided the, the sources are actually putting out line level audio. So hopefully I was clear. Thank you very much for the kind words. And, and also, hopefully that came out as a, as a friendly warning. I'm not like finger wagging at you, Andy. I just wanted to make sure that I keep your equipment safe. Retro Music Dan just put together a retro cart of sorts using a rack mounted system. So imagine like your typical IT or music rack uh, with a couple of shelves on it. So they have the consoles on the shelves and then the monitor up on top sitting next to a pretty badass angle amp and Marshall stack. And they wanted to know how I felt about possibly rack mounting the consoles themselves. Now, Dan is not trying to suggest this is how people build retro carts or do these things to your consoles, but just for their own awesome, crazy setup. What do I think about that? And I think it is a hilarious and awesome idea. And if you wanted to try something like that, you know, if you have a broken console, try it with this first, just for the heck of it. Or if you're looking to purchase consoles, get ones with broken shells so you can get them cheaper and, and reutilize it. But basically buy some of those rack mounted 
shelves that are thin pieces of metal that already have the, the ears on it so you could bolt it right in. And try to pick ones up that are, you know, that are flat on the bottom or only have a couple of holes pre-drilled. And then take apart your consoles and get some plastic spacers and then some nuts and bolts and basically just measure everything out. And you could take apart all of the consoles and bolt the boards directly to the rack. And you could probably fit quite a bit of them in there. And since it's not in a case... Uh, he wouldn't be so much of an issue. Like, for example, if you put a bunch of shelves on your rack and then you loaded each of them with consoles very close to each other, you could potentially have heat buildup. Whereas if you did that and all the boards were exposed, you know, that wouldn't be as much of an issue. But I think that would be hilarious and awesome. And especially if you did any creative mods, you could have them visible right there. And, you know, as I said at the beginning, I'm not suggesting that this is what everybody should do, and I don't think this is the perfect fit for everybody's setup, but I love weird and unique stuff like that. And that could potentially allow you to do some stuff that maybe you wouldn't normally be able to do, or you'd only be able to do if you hacked up a shell, and if there aren't retro game restore replacement shells available, I I really don't like messing with that, unless the shells are already broken to begin with. So... Yeah, I think that's really neat. I think it's something that's worth a try. Maybe try it with a broken console once, and if you decide it takes up way too much time and you don't you don't want to have to deal with drilling and adding all of those spacers, then maybe it's not worth it, but that's pretty neat. And if you end up doing it, definitely show some pictures because I think that's kind of a fun and unique idea. Adam Adamant said, when opening up an old PlayStation for an X-Station upgrade, they noticed splotches of rust on the RF and heat shielding. They understand getting rid of rust could be difficult because even if you get rid of it, it could come back because the protection method is no longer in the spot where the rust was. What's an acceptable way to handle this? So for me personally, I kind of base it on where the rust is in relation to everything else in the console. It might not be the right thing to do, but this is my opinion first, and I'll add some more facts after it. If it's something like it's over where the screws go down to the screw posts, but it's not near the motherboard, you know, obviously it's going to be near it, but, you know, not hovering over it. It's not something that's touching the motherboard. I don't usually worry about it too much, but I have seen things where you open it up and it's like, wow, this must have been sitting next to an open window by the beach for 10 years or something. It's just all rusted. If that's the case, I would do the same thing that you would do on cars. So there are uh, specific stuff that you could get to spray on it. So you would want to get some sandpaper. Um, but depending on it, you could use polish. You, should, you could use sandpaper. But basically, get all of the rust off. All of it. And if it's the size of a dime, do a size of a nickel around it to clean it off. If you're not in America, I'm just talking about different sizes of circles. <laughs> so, But um, it's one of those things where it's it, it's just... It depends how far you want to go, but getting a can of stuff that you could spray on the metal to prevent more rust from happening is something that's probably a good idea if there's a ton of rust or if you have a lot of consoles. The channel that I always talk about, Ammo NYC, the car detailing channel, they do that a lot as well, where there'll be rust on an older car, so they'll polish it all off as best they can, and then they'll spray some stuff over it that doesn't miraculously make it look perfect, but it will prevent rust from re growing, if you will, in that spot. So I've, I haven't bought the stuff that they use. I imagine the stuff that they use is really expensive because they detail very fancy cars, but I would just kind of look into what is out there to do that. If anybody has any other thoughts on it, um, feel free to chime in. I've heard a lot of, I've heard a lot of ones that uh, seem like good ideas in the moment, let's just say. Like somebody was like, oh yeah, just spray WD-40 all the way over it. Let, you know, dry it off a little bit and you'll be fine. Like, eh. 
sort of, not really. So for me personally, I would just kind of approach it as where is the rust? How bad is it? Do you think it's going to be a threat? And if it's just a tiny little bit, maybe just check it again every couple of months or something, or once a year, open the console, blow it out with compressed air and, and see if it's, if it's spreading. But yeah, if it's pretty bad, then I would absolutely try to take care of it. And hey, maybe you could do something neat. Maybe you could get a polisher and polish it to look almost chrome and then spray over it to prevent any more rust to coming out. I don't really know. That'll be up to you, of course. But hopefully I at least pointed you in the right direction for that. Recently, Lily Larceny has been swapping out some shells with the Retro Gamer Store and the Retro is Cool shells, the Martin and Yois, and they always prefer to have the PCB showing instead of the RF shielding if they could help it. Currently, they have shells for Dreamcast, Saturn, PS1, Genesis, Super Nintendo, plus PC Engine and Frontloader NESs are on order. They also have an Xbox Ghost case if it doesn't crack and break while installing it. They own a 3D printer and thought they might make up some simple support pieces to replace it when something else needs the shield to screw into, but they have no idea if any of these units use the shield for a ground or heat sink like the N64. They don't want to spend hours in Blender if it's not wise to remove them, so is there a list or information guide of what is safe to remove and what isn't, or are they in uncharted territory for some of these? Uh, Excellent question, and this is something that would be very cool to add to the wiki, but... The PC Engine, and uh, I think Turbo Graphics as well, rely on the heat shielding as grounding. And I don't know if any of the other consoles you mentioned do. Um, it, I think it depends. It, definitely not Super Nintendo or Genesis. I could vouch for those. Uh, not sure about the Dreamcast. And I think Saturn, uh, I, you'd probably be fine, but it might. De- I haven't seen every version of the Saturn, believe it or not. I've seen almost every version of almost everything else, but there may might be one motherboard revision of the Saturn that, that utilizes something. But generally, I think it's totally safe to just try it at first, with the only exception being like the N64 when it's part of the heatsink. So you wouldn't want that big metal bar on the top to be removed because then your N64 would overheat. So I think you could approach each one of these and kind of see. So for example, if you didn't ask the question and you just tried it with a PC engine, it probably wouldn't boot. So, but it wouldn't like explode the PC engine or anything. So then you'd put the metal shielding back and you're fine. Or in the case of like the NES, take the metal shielding off, boot it. If you have weird interference on the screen, put the metal shielding on. Did it make a difference? If not, then you just have a weird rev NES motherboard, which totally happens. Um, and if you put the metal shielding back on and the interference goes away, then you know that was required possibly for you know, a, a noisy rev or something like that. So I would kind of just take it one step at a time. Um, I think what might be a little easier for you is to look up is probably to take some calipers and measure the metal shielding and then find plastic or metal uh, spacers that are the same thickness. And that way you could say, like, uh, okay, the SNES will flex a little bit if you over-tighten the screws without a metal shielding in. So I'm going to get a tiny little plastic spacer that's about the same thickness as the metal shielding, so you don't have to worry so much about over-tightening, you're not going to flex the motherboard. I think that could probably pull that off for for at least Genesis, SNES, and, and maybe even the Saturn and NES, if you even need that at all. 
Um, but Dreamcast, I would double check. If anybody knows, please let me know and, or let us know in the comments. Off the top of my head, I can't remember. I feel like there was something about the Dreamcast shield that you had to keep or at least keep piece of it, a piece of it. So I would just kind of give it a try and if you, you know, and see what you find. But for the most part, at the very least, booting should be no problem whatsoever. So just give it a try without it. And, uh, you know, just if it doesn't work or if it boots, then pay next attention. Is something getting hot? You know, was there a visible heat sink on there or something? You know, something should be easier than others. But give it a try and see what you think. And, uh, you know, hopefully this is something that we could just add to every console on the wiki. Like, all SNESs are safe to remove the RF shielding. You might want to use a one millimeter spacer to keep the motherboard height correct or something. Two questions from David Griffith. First, they never thought they'd be asking for advertisements, but do I plan to make a single time-stamped video of my JLC PCB series at some point? As someone who does not generally tolerate advertisements in my day-to-day, -day, I've come to look forward to these as they've taught me how to use this service, something they've wanted to do for a while, but otherwise felt daunting. Thank you so much. I try so hard to make these fun, and I try to make it feel like a section in the weekly podcast. I don't feel I don't want it to feel like an ad. Um, you know, we all have to pay the bills, so I'm sure at some point I'm going to be sprawled out in a Casper mattress or some crap like that. But, uh, you know, if possible, I want to try to keep this stuff relevant. To answer your question, I would love to do that. And in fact, I'd also like to work with one of their reps so to not only do that, but have them talk with me. Uh, you know, in a live, like a live feel. So it might not be a live stream, but we kind of walk through this together. So I would want them to explain not only what to do, but why we're doing it. Why do we have to check that box? Why do you have to export files a certain way? How come I got errors when I, when I put this order in? Um, because what I've been doing is, hey, if you get this order, here's the fix. But I still don't really know why I got some of those errors, to be honest with you. So I think that's a really, really awesome uh, idea of yours. And I'm going to try to you know, extend that and, and do that at some point. Hopefully they would be willing to work with me on that because I just think there's so many people in your position that, hey, I want to use this. It seems okay, but what happens now? I'm, I'm stuck at this point. And their support is pretty good, but you know, their support also doesn't know some of the crazy retro gaming stuff that we do. So it would be easier to have a middleman like me sit there and kind of just explain what we're trying to do and why we would need to do stuff like that. So awesome, awesome idea. I'm going to try to make that happen. Second question. They believe I had a live gamer 4K. If so, have I ever had issues with audio cutting out? Yes. So uh, it depends on the source, though. Uh, they, they ask because they have this issue across all input devices, bypassing switches, splitters, firmware updates, driver updates, etc. They're using their own software and not OBS, so maybe that's the issue. No, uh, I think the issue is the console that you're using. So for me personally, if I connect, let's just say like a Nintendo Switch, a native HDMI outputting console, and I start recording in any mode, I don't ever have issues with the Bolt or the Live Gamer 4K. They're essentially the same thing, just one's in a Thunderbolt case, basically. Um, but if I play, connect the Super Nintendo stock with no mods done to it, to or, or just an RGB mod, the, no de-jitter, if I connect that to the OSSC or to the RetroTINK 5X in frame lock mode, then I do get audio dropouts. Um, and the way around that would be if you're using an analog source, so Super Nintendo is the perfect example, um, you would want to take that then and run and basically skip 
the capture card for audio and go directly into your PC or in the case of the Bolt, right into the Bolt's audio input. And then you shouldn't have that problem at all. You should be able to use OBS and maybe even their software to select which audio that you would like to record along with it. And that should mitigate any issues that you have. Other than the audio problem, it does accept Super Nintendo in 5X mode uh, with no mods through the OSSE and, and uh, RetroTink 5X in frame lock mode, so the, you know, the almost zero latency mode. So it's just the audio dropouts are the issue. Now, if you have digital audio dropouts on native HDMI equipment, there might be something wrong with your card and you might want to talk to Avery Media about that. But I'm talking about stuff like you know, the modern Xbox, the modern PlayStation, stuff that has from the factory an HDMI out. If you're doing like an HDMI modded PlayStation or something, you never know. Maybe the the weird signals that are sent from that console might trip it up as well. So that's just something to look into. The only other thing is if it's uh, if it's something like you know, you're doing a couple of mods to your console and you have a digital audio mod, you might want to look into a separate capture card anyway, because there could potentially be some issues with injecting audio and capture cards. I don't think I've ever run into that. And I don't think that's a likely scenario, but I wanted to bring that up in, in case anybody's listening and they're like, well, I have this with that and that, and I have the same issue. It's at least plausible that something like that might happen you know, especially with digital audio mods for like the Sega Saturn and Super Nintendo, because they're not typical audio formats that you would find. But I, I think what you're talking about is basically just analog audio. And, you know, if that's the case, you could try to use your PC's input. You could try to pick up another cheap USB-based sound card to pick that up if you needed to. Uh, but if that's not, if I'm not getting the question right, please let me know. Um, because I did do, I mean, that's actually what I use full time now is either the Bolt or the Live Gamer 4K, depending on if my Thunderbolt card is installed or not, uh, or if I need to do 4K 60. So uh, it's something that I, I do use all the time. And the only time I've ever run into it is with analog audio. So I could just bypass into something else. But uh, hopefully that kind of points you in the right direction. Ask whatever else you need if I could uh, be of any other help. Well, that's it for this week. If you're a supporter and you'd like to participate in these Q&As, please just ask your question wherever it is that you support in the latest Q&A post. The way these services work, I can't really figure out what's a new question on an old post. And I have no idea who in the YouTube comments are supporters unless it's through the YouTube support page. So if you're a supporter, don't ask your questions there because I don't check these weeklies for in that one. I do answer a ton of questions just in regular YouTube comments on a daily basis anyway. Uh, but for these Q&A uh, podcasts that I do, I just go through the supporter services because it's easiest to track through that way. And also because I kind of like scrolling through in real time the way you saw today and just kind of answering it as if we were hanging out at a bar or a coffee shop together or something like that. So uh, anywhere you support is cool, though. Today, the questions just happen to only be on Patreon, but it's not limited. There's uh, Patreon, Floatplane, Kofi's both tip and monthly, and of course, the YouTube's subscribe support thing. I'm not even sure what the proper name for that is. But um, anyway, any questions you have, that's where to put them. And of course, thank you so much to everybody who participates in these in any way, because I do enjoy doing them. I feel like I'm trying to give back as a thank you to everybody who supports, and I hope I hope that you feel that way too. Or if you don't care about the Q&As, that's also fine, as long as you're not mad at me for them. <laughs> so thanks very much, and I will see you next week.